Good morning, ICP. Recap, where have we been, right? We've been in the book of Jonah for a while. Um, We've explored this theme of grace in a foreign place. Uh, We started with God coming to Jonah and telling him, Arise, go to Nineveh, call out against it. Why? Because their sin had come up before him. And he had a message for the Ninevites. And Jonah uh, took off and went the other direction. Literally the exact opposite direction Um, as far away from Nineveh as he could get. And so God sent a storm against the ship. It almost threatened to to break the ship apart and sink it, kill the sailors and Jonah by extension. And he tells the sailors, hey, just throw me overboard and it'll, it'll stop. The storm will cease, the waves will quit, and you'll be saved. So they did, and the storm stopped. And then a great fish swallowed Jonah. Actually, that was Jonah's salvation, if, if you remember uh, back to that. He was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And it was there that he finally repented and changed his mind about the calling that the Lord had given him. He then goes to Nineveh, calls out against it. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed And they repent, and they put on sackcloth. Every single one, from the greatest to the least, we're told in Jonah, they all put on sackcloth. And the king left his throne and sat in ashes. Such was the repentance there. And then for the last two weeks, Mike has, has walked us through some of the, the New Testament connections with Jonah, right? Uh, I believe he spoke about Jesus calming the storm from Mark. One of the great things about that passage that really connects so well to Jonah is, is the fact that, that Jesus looked out at the disciples in the boat. He could see them the whole time. You know, Jonah tried to run from the presence of the Lord. And God's like, you can't escape me. And that, that, that passage from Mark shows us they and us can never be out of the sight of the one who calms the waves and the winds. And then last week we, we heard about the sign of Jonah being three days and three nights in the heart of the earth and then being resurrected. What a mighty God. And today, the story of Jonah is coming to an end. This literary masterpiece in the Old Testament that has many connections to the New Testament, it's full of irony and it's rich with themes of God's sovereignty. It it comes to an end. And today we see one of the greatest ironies in the book of Jonah. And we see the main reason that this book was preserved and given to God's people. So, let's start in Jonah chapter 3, verse 10, and read. This is God's holy and authoritative word. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the, of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry. And Jonah went out of the city 
and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor. Nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. This is God's word. Lord, we pray that you help us now as we look into your word to see you high and lifted up, to see your son the one in whom we behold the glory of God who came to save us as we are so often like Jonah. Help us, Lord, to see ourselves here as well, truly. And help us, Lord, to, to be changed by all of those visions we ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So put yourself in Jonah's shoes, okay? As, as a preacher, it's easy for me to put myself in Jonah's shoes because think about this. This guy went and preached a message and what happened? Revival broke out. 120,000 people repented. 120,000 people. Man, I'd be like, what? What just happened? Do y'all see this? The whole city put on sackcloth and humbled themselves. Wow! I'd be over the moon ecstatic with what the Lord did. Jonah is angry. Okay, it's not easy for me to put myself in Jonah's shoes in that regard. I, get a, I, get, I like to imagine like what would happen, you know? Like, like we think it's amazing, and it is, on the day of Pentecost that Peter uh, gave a sermon and 3,000 repented. Man, I'd be happy with 3,000, okay? But Jonah got 120,000, and he got mad. Let me rephrase that. God worked the repentance of 120,000 through the means of Jonah's preaching, and Jonah got mad. Seething with anger, so mad that he tells God about it. This is why I left. The one who had already experienced the salvation of the Lord. The one who knew that the Lord's compassion is the wellspring of his salvation. He didn't like it when that compassion landed on someone else. 
He didn't like it when that salvation was worked on another people group. The very thing that forestalled the wrath of God has now awoken the wrath of Jonah. There's a revival going on. People are repenting and calling out to God and they're fasting and they're in sackcloth and the king is sitting in ashes and Jonah is mad and he brings a charge against the Lord. And his anger. We're going to examine four pieces of evidence this morning, if you will. Jonah's heart. Jonah's hope. Jonah's compassion. And finally, God's compassion. And each of these evidences are are going to combine to show us that the Lord's compassion is the wellspring of His salvation. So let's get in. Verse 1, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this why what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry. What a heartbreaking four verses to read. We've, we've just seen recently that, that Jonah had repented, right? But, but now we see that, that even though he, he repented maybe in action, his heart was unchanged. His heart was still gripped with no compassion for the Ninevites. They are unworthy of mercy, unworthy of grace in Jonah's eyes. So unworthy, in fact, that he's going to tell God how wrong God is for having mercy and compassion on them. You see, just recently, a few verses ago, it was with a a heart of thanksgiving that Jonah calls out to the Lord and says, I will do what I have vowed. Now, with a voice of anger, look at how he addresses God. I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and relenting for disaster. Think about that for a second. The charge that Jonah brings against God is God's own words. God's own self-description. God's own self-revelation to His people. Mainly to Moses. When Moses wants to see his face, he says, none may see my face and live. So he hides him in the crack of the rock, places his hand over him, and when he passes by, he says, you can see my back. And when he does, what does he do? He proclaims the Lord, the Lord, gracious and merciful and abounding in steadfast love. And Jonah says, I knew that's who you were. That's why I didn't want to go. God has done what God does. He reveals Himself to those who search for Him. And He's just saved those who call out to Him. And Jonah's mad about God being God. Jonah is a picture of the people of Israel. Oftentimes, Jonah can be a picture of the church today even if we're honest with ourselves or or even forget the church at large, even ourselves individually. 
Me, individually. None of us are immune from this. But Israel was to bring the nations before the Lord, and then they set themselves in the place of the Lord and said, you know what, those people, we're going to bring all the nations except for these people, because why? They're, they're pretty bad. And, oh, you know what, those people, they're bad too. We're not going to go to them. Oh, no, not them either. And then Jonah would rather die than to see grace and mercy and compassion poured out on them. I knew you were good. So just kill me. If you're going to be good, I don't want to live in a world with a good God. And God's question. You want to see grace in action do you do well to be angry? His heart is set against the Ninevites. But why? Is it because they're wicked? Is it because they're brutal? Is it because of their idolatry? Is it because of their ethnicity? Is it because of their oppression of the peoples that they've conquered? The true question, actually, is who is our Nineveh? Because we've all got one, right? You remember maybe the first sermon in the series I asked that question? Who's your Nineveh? We've all got one. Is it, is it those whose lifestyle is different than yours? Is it those who have a different view of sexuality than, than you do? Is it the drug addicts? I mean, look, they've already made their choices, right? Is it those who are ethnically different? Is it unbelievers? Is it Jehovah's Witnesses? Is it Mormons, Hindus, Muslims? Who is it? We've all got a Nineveh. We've all got a group of people that are our Ninevites. Who is it that when we would think of God pouring out mercy on them, we're like, no, nah, mm-mm. Just, you know what, just kill me. I don't want to see that. We've all got someone. I used to work in a homeless shelter in Texas, and I did a lot of counseling to those who've been sexually abused as children. And the, the, the deep emotional and mental, psychological, sometimes even physical scars that that leaves. Oh, man. You want to talk about awakening anger. It was, it was like I could taste it. Jesus says, hey, you know what? For someone who would hurt one of these little ones, someone who would cause one of these little ones to sin, and many times their, their sins of drug addiction that had led them to homelessness were rooted and, and, and kind of like, like all started around their abuse. Jesus says it would be better for that one to have a millstone tied around his neck and be flung into the sea. So my, my anger is justified, right? I'm right whenever I feel that anger, right? The book of Jonah reminds us that while we're to care for those who are abused and, and point them to the, the grace and the, the, the mercy of our Savior who can bring healing It reminds us with the picture of the wicked Ninevites that God also reaches toward the abuser. And the question to me would be the same when I looked at a repentant abuser who experiences the compassion of the Lord and it awakens my anger. The Lord would look at me and say, Vince, do you do well to be angry? And you see... The Lord's compassion is the wellspring of his salvation. He looks on helpless sinners, sinners, not sinners. He does save basketball and, and American football players as well. But sinners, he looks on helpless sinners with compassion. And he sent his son to die for them. 
And he's the one who decides who receives that steadfast love. Not Jonah, not you, thankfully not me. Because we would be out of luck if anyone other than God were the decision maker on who receives that compassion. See, Jonah's heart has been revealed. Now let's turn and look at his hope. Verse 5. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint and he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be Angry. Angry enough to die. See, Jonah's heart was not the only thing set against Nineveh. His hope was set against them. His hope was set against them as well. Now, we can conclude that this is all taking place after the 40 days, right? We can, we can kind of go and, and just think like, okay, like, he said 40 days and yet Nineveh will be overthrown or, or thrown down, overturned, however you want to translate that. So he probably preached for the entire 40 days and then seeing that they're still repentant, comes to the Lord in his anger. And then after that, he's like, you know what? I'm, I'm getting out of this place because it's probably still going to be destroyed. I mean, they're wicked people. They deserve it. And so he goes out of the city to see what will happen. Maybe fire and sulfur will rain down after all. That's his hope. And he made himself, made himself a booth. Oh, how ironic. The, the Feast of Booths was a commemoration in Israel that was to, to help them remember when the Lord their God had done what? Delivered them from Egypt. And then they were out in the desert and living in tents, in booths, if you will. And so once a, once a year, they would spend their a whole week living in a booth, remembering what? Their deliverance. And Jonah goes out and builds a booth in hopes of destruction. That's, that's crazy, Jonah. Like, I'm going to build a booth and sit here and hope that these people are destroyed because that's what they deserve. And then, God appointed a plant to further shade and cool Jonah. God just keeps giving good gifts to this wayward guy. And he just doesn't get it. God's mercy to Nineveh made Jonah exceedingly mad. God's mercy to Jonah makes him exceedingly glad. What a, what a juxtaposition there. What, a, what a, a, a great picture of irony. Jonah is selfish and self-centered. He only loves a merciful God when that merciful God is merciful to him. 
And God appointed this plant to save Jonah from what? It says from his discomfort. In this book, when you see disaster, calamity, evil, discomfort, it's all the same word in Hebrew. God appointed this plant to save Jonah from his evil. From the evil that was in his heart. From the evil that he wanted the Ninevites to experience. From the calamity that he wanted them to go down in. And God is like, no, Jonah. I want to save you from that. He's trying to save Jonah just like he did Nineveh. You know, Mike said last week, <laughs> thanks Mike, if you're watching. He said, was Jonah a good prophet? I'm going to let Vince answer that next week. <laughs> Look, I'm not, I ain't got no answers for you, okay? I, all I got is what the Bible tells us. God was trying to save Jonah from his evil. And we're no different than Jonah, if we're honest. God appointed a plant. And in the morning, he appointed a worm. He said, oh, you, you love me when I'm good. Let's see how you love me when I'm not. So in the morning, he appointed a worm to eat this plant up so that its shade will be gone. And then he sent a scorching east wind, one coming from the desert, and it would make Jonah even more uncomfortable. You know, when, when, you're, when you're hot inside, it, it, it causes you to be hot outside. Man, when I used to get angry, I, boy, I'd start sweating. I'd be like, ooh, let me tell you something. So, so, so Jonah's already just hot and bothered is what we say in the South, right? I'm from the South in the U.S. We're like, oh boy, boy, he's hot. And Jonah's hot right now. And then God says, oh, that's not enough. We got to crank the heat up on him in order to save this guy. And so he's like, your shade's gone. Shade's gone. Scorching east wind. Let's make it hotter. Oh, sun. We got we to gotta make that sun beat down on your head, Jonah. He got even more uncomfortable in his sin over God saving or relenting from the calamity that he would bring to Nineveh. And in his faintness, he again asks God for death. And God graciously points out to Jonah again his heart. Do you do well to be angry for the plant. He's angry enough to die over those being spared. But he didn't really answer that question. But when God says, do you do well to be angry over the plant? Jonah, he says, yes I do. Angry enough to die over a plant. Look, my wife and I, we kill plants all the time, okay? If you have a hardy plant, let's test it. Send it to the Corpus apartment. It won't make a week. Talk about a scorching east wind, our apartment must have plenty of them. But we don't ever say, well, that plant died, I'm just going to die too. Why? It's a plant. Unfortunately, it's not even an edible plant, or we'd be like, well, before it dies, let's make a salad. No, he's angry enough to die over a plant. 
And again comes the question, are we any different? You know, when we think that um, we think we're different oftentimes, right? But if we're, if we're right, if we're, if we're honest and truthful with ourselves, we, we often think we can do a better job than God. That's what Jonah's essentially saying. I know better than you, God, what you should be doing right now. You should be destroying them and, and keeping the plant alive because it was a blessing to me and it, and it helped me. We can quote 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Oh, we can say that easily, can't we? We can say it with passion. We can forget verse 11 all the time. Because Paul goes on, And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Let's not forget that. That's who we are outside of Christ. That's who we are absent Him coming. Dying for our sins. Sending His Spirit to give new life. Jonah found mercy. His hope is that they would have none. We have found mercy as well. Our hope should be that everyone finds it as well. Let's not be like Jonah. One commentator sums this up with these words. Instead of hoping for the destruction of someone else, we need to think of how much we like mercy and how impoverished we would be without it. Where would you be without mercy? How much do you like mercy? You know, the Apostle Paul, oh man, these words, they're like a, a, a mantra for me. Not that maybe we should even have mantras or anything. It's just a, it's on repeat in my head this week. The Apostle Paul says, but I found mercy. It's a man who knew where he would be outside of mercy. And we need to be the same type of folks. And then take that mercy to those around us. Why? Because God's compassion is the wellspring of his salvation. And we have been recipients of that. So Jonah's heart and hope have been revealed. Let's look at his compassion. Verse 10. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. We finally see what Jonah is interested in having compassion on. The word for pity is also the same as compassion. You, ha you have compassion for the plant, Jonah? Did you make the plant? Did you invest any energy into the plant? Did you do anything for the plant? Did you make it grow? Did you water it? How long did you know that plant, Jonah? How long were y'all friends? Did you have that plant from childhood, Jonah? No, it came into being in one night and you did nothing for it. You didn't even imagine it. You didn't even think about it until it sprung up. You're welcome. 
He didn't give it life. He didn't provide nutrients to make it grow. You were nothing but passive. You enjoyed the plant. You used the plant, Jonah. Jonah's compassion is only for things that are useful to him. The things that make his life easier. See, he wasn't grateful to God for the plant. He just enjoyed the benefit of the plant. Jonah didn't care where the plant came from or what its purpose was as long as it was there for him. Jonah has compassion on Jonah. And God gives Jonah an object lesson with the plant and it identifies that Jonah values himself and the things that he can get a benefit from. Think of the compassionate men who have come before Jonah. Abraham, when God came down to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham, he almost had the Lord talked out of it. He's like, man, what, what if I can find righteous people there? Will you not destroy it? And he said, yeah. Yeah, if you can find ten righteous people there, I won't destroy it. Joseph. When he's reunited with his brothers, he says, what you intended for evil, the Lord intended for good and for the salvation of many. And he cried when he was reunited with them. And then Moses in Exodus, when the the, the people of Israel had made a golden calf while he was on the mountain with God, and, and and he says, no, Lord, don't destroy them. He pleads with God. He intercedes on their behalf to save the people. He seeks mercy for those he knows should be destroyed. And who hadn't even repented at that time? He hears them worshiping and partying around the golden calf. And he's like, hold up, Lord, hold up. Let's talk. Even though Nineveh had repented, Jonah still has no mercy for them. Job took the loss of everything he had, children, lands, possessions, and health. And then he worshiped God. See, Job wasn't in it for himself. He was in it for God. These men all understood what Jonah has failed to grasp. The Lord's compassion is the wellspring of his salvation. So we've seen his heart, his compassion. I'm sorry, his heart, his hope, and his compassion. Our final piece of evidence today is God's compassion. Verse 11. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. We come now to the climax of the entire story. It's been building and there have been some twists and some turns and and we're like, man, is this guy for real? Yes, he's for real. Because in being real, we now come to the biggest message of the book, the compassion of God. It's meant not only for us, but for them. Whoever them may be. 
And God asks Jonah, should he not have compassion on that great city? Why was it a great city? Well, we we saw earlier that it was a great city just in size, right? In scope. It took three days to cross. That's That's a big city. But it's a great city because God has done great things in it. God has done great things in it. And they're described as not knowing their right hand from their left. This is a phrase that that denotes not only spiritual lack, but moral lack. They are totally and utterly lost. And the Lord knows it. And so He has compassion on them. Sounds a lot like the Lord Jesus who looked out on the crowds and had compassion on them. Why? Because they were helpless and harassed like sheep without a shepherd. They didn't know. The Lord's compassion is the wellspring of His salvation. It is His compassion that underlies all that He does toward those He would call His own. It is His compassion that caused Him to forgive an unrepentant Israel in the wilderness of Sinai. It is His compassion that motivated His saving of Jonah. It is His compassion that drove Him to save Nineveh. It is His compassion that compelled Him to save us as well. But how can that be? How can that be? Well, Jonah, Jonah was quoting Exodus 34 earlier, speaking of God's compassion. The verse is so rich with who God is. It's God's own words, His own self-revelation. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. So how can God have compassion and bring about salvation with the rest of that line when he says he will by no means clear the guilty? He can do it through the intercession of a prophet. And something other than a prophet as well. See, think of this. Jonah interceded for Nineveh. He called out to them and it resulted in their repentance. It is his call out against them that was his intercession. Moses called out against Israel, but he also called out to God. Moses called out to God on behalf of the people and God turned. One greater than Jonah has come. Thank you, Mike, once again. One greater than Jonah has called out against his people. Repent! And believe the gospel. One greater than Moses has come. And he's called out to God on behalf of God's people. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. One greater than any other prophet has come. And he was not like the prophets of old who were flawed. Jonah worked a whole 120,000 people, didn't want to, got mad when they repented. Moses came down from the mountain after having saved the people and then got so mad, he threw the tablets down and broke them and God had to remake new tablets. One greater than those has come. He had compassion on His people. God Himself has come in the person of Jesus Christ. One who knew no sin, yet became sin for us. One who perfectly kept the covenant, yet took the covenant curses for us. 
one who was obedient in every way, yet took the punishment of disobedience. One who was truthful in every way. He said, I speak the words my Father has given me. Yet, he was condemned for those who speak falsely. And now, Jesus Christ is how God can be compassionate to sinners and save them while maintaining His justice. Make no mistake about it. Justice will come. Justice will be met either in the sinner or in the sinless one who took the place of the sinner. And that is Christ. Those who look to Christ in faith the justice that they are due falls on Him. What grace. What mercy. Because we have to remember something about ourselves that Jonah failed to forget. We are the Ninevites. We are the guilty ones. We are the wicked ones. We are vessels of mercy. So let's not look at those over there and say, no, they're not worthy. No. No. There's one who comes to stand in their place just like he stood in your place, just like he stood in my place. And he can stand before the justice of God and not be consumed. So, November 13th, 2022. What does this mean for us? What does this mean for us today? How does the fact that the Lord's compassion is the wellspring of His salvation, pardon me, enter, inform our lives today? Well, David Livingstone, missionary in the 1800s, sums it up, the salvation of men ought to be the chief desire and aim of every Christian. This gracious and compassionate God that we worship is the one that we are to take to the lost, the hurting, the ones that do not know their right from their left. As such were some of you. As such was I. They're all around us. Quite possibly some are even in this audience today. The Lord is calling us to compassion because He has been and is and will be compassionate. Why? Because what we sang earlier is true. God never changes. He's the same for all times. And now we come to the last few words of our passage. And I used to read this and I'm like, what? And much cattle. What? This is this this phrase right here, and much cattle, is how you know that the Bible is a hundred percent true. Okay, like for real. I'm not kidding. It sounds like a joke. It's funny to say that because it's like, ah, come on, miss. No, Jonah would never have written this about himself. Okay, I, look, let me tell you something. If I'm writing a, 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 an autobiography, let's say, I'm not going to put anything in there that makes me look bad, okay? Vince was a great guy. <laughs> nope, if it starts off like that, throw it away. Go read the biography, not the autobiography. This is God's indictment against Jonah. You don't like me having compassion on people? You, you only have 
compassion on things that are useful to you like the plant. Well, dude, the cattle are good food, Jonah, okay? Cattle are good eaten. Least let me save them. Least let me not destroy the city on account of the cattle that are there, Jonah. Okay? You don't want me to save the people? Fine. We'll work on that. At least let me save the cows. 100% we know the Bible is true because of these four words. And also much cattle. Because I ain't writing that. I'm not going to write that to be memorialized forever. But God caused Jonah to write that through his spirit. Because he's saying people are worth so much more than a bunch of cows and plants. Jonah, get your heart right, Jonah. You you want me to save a plant? And not 120,000 people made in my image? 120,000 people, some of whom will be gathered around the throne of the true man who will sit on that throne forever one day. Jonah, really? You, you don't want me to have compassion on them. This is an everlasting indictment. Why? Because Jesus says his words will never pass away. Even though heaven and earth will pass away, his word will remain. And I hope one day, after this story was written, that Jonah got it. Pretty sure he got it, but I don't know. Where, his, where this book leaves us, we don't know. But I hope one day we're all gathered around that throne and we can look at Jonah and say, and much cattle. <laughs> and much cattle. Praise God that he wanted to save the cows. And Jonah's going to say, yeah. Those four words, those four words changed something in me.